Good morning. Today's reading will be from Matthew chapter 19, verses 4 to 6. That's Matthew 19, 4 to 6. Haven't you read, he replied, that at the beginning the Creator made them male and female, and said, For this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, God has joined together, what God has joined together, let no one separate. Thanks. Good morning, church. It's good to see everyone here today. Good morning. morning. Welcome to our worship this morning. I would like to start by by a show of hands. How many of you guys, raise your hands, if you're married? Wow. If you guys are watching online here, there's a lot of hands up. Like more. Keep your hands up, please. Keep your hands up. We're we're working out. Keep your hands. Okay. Keep your hands raised. If you have been married for longer than five, for five years or longer. Pretty much every, everybody's still up here. Okay, good. So raise your, keep your hands raised if you've been married for 10 years or longer. Okay, we're starting to go down a little bit. That's good. Still a lot. You guys are going to have your hands like a, a workout here. Keep your hands raised. If you've been married for 20 plus years, there's still some hands up, okay? And this is when I put my hands down, okay? Raise your hands up if you've been married for 30 years or longer. Wow, 30 years or longer, look at this. There's probably about 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, maybe 10 to 15 couples still hands, hands up raised. Keep your hands raised if you've been married for 40 years or longer. Four zero years or longer. Oh man, look at this. These guys, these guys definitely know a thing or two about marriage that many of us still don't yet know. Okay, because of where they are in their marriage. How about, did I say 40? How about 50 years plus? Man, one, two, three, four, five couples right here. Thank you for your faith. Thank you for your example. Thank you for your experience. How about 60 plus years? Do we have hands up? 60 plus years? Wow, two couples. I got, we got, we got to clap for that. Wow. Two couples here tonight have been married for 60 plus years. Amazing. So why do you want to get married? That's the question that Linda and I ask to couples who come to us and say that they want to get married. That's one of the first questions we ask them. Why do you want to get married? In our experience, 100% of them say that the reason why they want to get married, the biggest reason why they want to get married is because of love, which is a very good reason why to get married. Okay? If we're being honest, those of us who are married, that's the reason why we, we will give that uh, we want to get married, is because we love 
you know, the other person. We want to get married to them. We want to get married to each other because we love each other. It is good to know the reason why we want to get married. But have you ever wondered why God wants us to get married? Have you ever wondered the reason, the reason behind God instituting marriage for us? That's a very good question to ask. Because the answer to that question would lead us to be more and more like Jesus. The answer to that question will allow us to uh, understand what marriage is really all about. So we can take our attitudes, our reasons, and our thoughts about marriage so we can align it to the desires and will of God for marriage. And when we do that, we will get the most out of marriage as God has designed marriage to be. So this morning, that is what... uh, I'm just going to turn this on. Hold on. This morning, that is what we are going to talk about. That's what I want to talk to you about this morning. I am going to talk to you about God's vision for marriage. And again, the importance of this is, I can't stress it enough. We understand, when we understand God's vision for marriage, we understand what, you know, why we go into marriage ourselves. Because we have to understand that marriage is not a man-made invention. Okay? The title of our lesson today is God's vision for marriage. If it's a man-made invention, we would call our, our, our lesson today man's vision for marriage. We don't want that. We want God's vision for marriage. Because God was the one who thought about marriage. It originated with God all the way to the creation when he united Adam and Eve in marriage. That is what he did. And so our scripture reading this morning is literally taken from that passage in Genesis chapter 2. Jesus himself says again God's vision for marriage. And that's what we see in our scripture reading this morning. Matthew 19, 4-6. In this short passage, we see God's vision for marriage. Haven't you read, he replied, that at the beginning the Creator made them male and female and said, For this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. There's a lot of information here, but let's summarize in a, in, 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 in a few lines. In a few lines, God's vision for marriage. For God, this is what he sees marriage to be. It's about a man and a woman coming together. Leaving their parents, joining together to become one flesh, to become one flesh. That's what we are going to spend time doing this morning. So this morning, if you are married or remarried, this lesson is for you. This morning, if you are not married yet and you intend to be married at some point in the future, this lesson is for you. Today, if you are not married and you do not intend to be married or you have been divorced, this lesson is for you. What we want to do today is we want to encourage all of us here to really understand what God's vision of marriage is. 
so that we can help each other to get there. And we ourselves, if we are married or looking to be married, we will know what to do for us to be able to get to what God's desire for us is in marriage. Okay, so let's, let's begin. Again, God's vision for marriage is oneness between husband and wife. One flesh. This morning, our study is going to be simple. We're going to talk about two things. We're going to talk about what does this mean? Number one. And number two, we're going to ask the question, well, what does it mean to us today? What are the implications for us today? And what does that entail for us today? Okay, so first, what does it mean to become one flesh? You know, in, uh, in marriage ceremonies today, there's like a ceremony within the ceremony itself. You guys, you guys know what I'm talking about? If you've been to a, a marriage ceremony before, you've probably seen like symbols that pe- people have that really demonstrate what becoming one flesh is all about. Have you guys noticed that? I know I'm Filipino and we have all these symbols. I think we did all three of them in our wedding. But I'm just going to give you an example to really understand what this one flesh literally means. Okay? At our wedding, Linda and I's wedding, we did this candle thing. Do you, have you guys seen that? The candle ceremony within the ceremony? So what it is is Linda... At, at, at one part of our wedding, um, I'm standing here in one end of the stage, and she's over there at one end of the stage, and we each have a candle in our hands. Okay? And I have this candle, and what happens in the ceremony is I light my candle, and she does the same with her. So we each have a candle in front of us in our hand that's lit. And then in the middle of the stage, there's one big candle that's not lit. Okay, you guys see the idea here, right? So what we do is we go towards that candle and we light that candle with our candles. Okay, I think I have a picture here that Linda was able to take up. I know it looks like it was taken in 1942. But it's not, because Linda and I were cheap, right? Like what we, this is the biggest regret that we had at our, our wedding is we didn't have professional photographers, okay? We gave people like, you know, those disposable, you know, uh, film cameras, and that's, that's, that's the result, okay? So that's what we did. We light the big candles. Do you guys see where this is going? Becoming one flesh. But this is not the last part of the of this little mini ceremony within a ceremony there's one last part that we had to do do you guys know what it is we had to go back to our spots okay blow out our candles you know the ones that we had in our hands we had to blow it out in front of the in front of the people and come together towards that candle without our little candles in our hands Because that's our candle now. Husband and wife coming together to be united, to become one flesh, because marriage is something that God has instituted, and he has instituted it to last a lifetime, and he instituted it for our own good. So I would suggest that um, 
you find this individual that you really, you know, you, you, don't, want, you, you don't just want to be able to live with them, right? You, you marry them because you can't live without them. You know, you want to make that life with this individual because you want to make that shared life with them. One mind, body, spirit, and heart. That is what a marriage union is supposed to be like. Right? Now, what I want to talk to you about now is um, it's this idea that, um, well, since being one flesh is literally God wanting us to meld our mind, our heart, and our body, and our life together in marriage, what does that mean for us today? We're in the second part of our lesson today, okay? We understand now that, yes, being one flesh is this vision that God has for us, right? What does it mean for us today? What does that mean for for me and you? How do we make sense of this in our life here in 2022 in Winnipeg? Okay, so uh, what I'm going to do to answer that question is I have two points. Okay, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be on the screen. Two simple points. And these two points is going to really uh, give us an understanding of what have being one flesh with our spouse means. And is, uh, and is the desire of God for our lives. The first one is commitment. Being one flesh, husband and wife, is about commitment. For those of us who, are, who have been married, do you remember the, the vows that you made at your wedding day? Do you guys remember? Yeah, it's been a long time. Do you guys remember? If you have not been married, I'm pretty sure many of you guys have been to a wedding before. Do you remember the vows that husband and wife made at the wedding that you were at? Okay, let's just let's talk about a simple, like a typical wedding vow. Okay, I don't know if I remember this. Okay, you know, um, you know, we the minister or the wedding officiant tells us to repeat after them, you know, you know, saying like, yeah, repeat after me, I, and then state your name, J, you know, take you, Linda, as my wife. Remember that? And then the vow, the vow continues to have and to hold. I'm going to take Linda, my wife, to have and to hold. And then, and then it goes like this, for better or for worse. For richer or for poorer. And then what's, what's next? In sickness and in health. Thank you, Miles. In sickness and in health. Right? To love and to cherish. And then what's the end? Till death do us part. Do you guys see God's vision of marriage in there from our scripture reading? It's all there. Isn't that amazing? Do you understand the gravity of that commitment? See, the marriage relationship is a covenant. It's not a contract. A covenant is based on trust. Some people would say contracts are based on mistrust. Because, well, I want to I want to, I want to have a contract ready just in case they renege on their side of the bargain, right? So they have a contract drafted out. 
But a covenant is not like that. A marriage is a covenant because it's also based on unlimited responsibility. It doesn't matter what you look like five years from now. I will still be here for you. For, for richer or for poorer, in sickness and in health, it's unlimited responsibility. I am telling you that I will be here for you no matter what. That is my promise to you. But a contract, some people will say, is based on limited liability. Well, I'm going to go into this contract and I'm going to make sure I put it in there. The least that I'm going to do for you in our contract. My deliverable, the least amount. I'm not going to go over that or under that. But a covenant doesn't do that because it's based on love. Love is not concerned with the minimum. It's concerned with the maximum. It's concerned about what I want to do for you, not the things that I cannot do. It's the stuff that I want to do for you. That's the commitment in marriage that we are to have, being one with our spouse. Okay? Now, uh, the Apostle Paul likened this idea of being one flesh to the relationship between Jesus and the church. Do you guys remember that? That is in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 31 to 32. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is what we're talking about, right? But look at his, his application of this particular passage. He says, this is a profound mystery. And then he goes on and says, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. He says that our marriage relationship is like the relationship between Jesus and us. What a beautiful analogy. So if you're single today, you know you will benefit from this because it's not really just about the other person. It's about our relationship with God. So the Apostle Paul is saying, that our relationship with Jesus informs our relationship with our spouse, if we have a spouse. Now, let's break it down a little bit. Okay, let's break it down. Let's ask questions to ourselves. I want you to ask these questions to yourselves, to yourselves, to, to ourselves, and think about our relationship with God. Okay? What is my commitment to God like today? Ask, ask that question in your mind. Do I get excited about being with Jesus today? What do I think about worship services like this, or Bible studies, or fellowship events with the church? Do I get excited about that? How do I generally feel about praying to God and being with Him in His Word? Okay, I'm going to go deeper. Okay? I want to relate this to you in, the, in a way that really, that we really will understand. Do you guys remember two weeks ago, about two weeks ago, three weeks ago, when we didn't have a worship service, when it was canceled because of snow? 
Here's the question. How did you guys feel in that when it was canceled? Were you like, yeah! Yeah, I can sleep in! Is that how you felt? Did you guys, hon, we don't have to go to church today. We can watch a movie. Kids, we don't have to go to work, you know? Did we get excited about that? Or did we go, man, I know it's not ideal, snow, Winnipeg, but you know what? You know, we, we can, you know, we, we can do our own thing. We can, we can worship God right now, remember Jesus our own way. That that has a lot of application in our relationship with our spouses, right? Are you excited about about going out on a date with your wife or with your husband? Spending time with them? Or is it like, I don't want to do this. This is just a bore. I've been married to you for 40 years. I don't care anymore. You know, do we do that? What does it say about our commitment? You know what? We do that because we put in the number one enemy of becoming one flesh. You know what that is? Selfishness. When we, this is something that, you know, I'm looking at Miles and Lesha because they, 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 they love it when I do this. When husband and wife come together to become one flesh, yeah, this is, this is it right here. This is what we want to do. This is what God's desire for marriage is. This is his vision for marriage. But if we put in ourselves in there, you know what's going to happen? This is going to happen. We don't want to do it. Because we want to live our individuality still intact. We don't want to do stuff for the other person. Because how about me? How about my friends who I play video games with? How, how about my, my girlfriends who I go shopping with? How about them? But no, this requires a lot of commitment. This requires a lot of work. Being together like that. And that is what we need to focus on. Because remember, when we got married, our allegiance and our loyalties have switched. From our parents to our best friends <laughs> that we consider best friends to our spouse. Our loyalty, my loyalty is now to that lady over there. Not to my parents. To her. Not to my work. To her. When I make money and I bring the money in, I don't say... Where's your contribution? This is my money. This is our money now. Do you guys understand that? Even my body is not my body anymore. It belongs to my wife now. That is what it means to be committed to this relationship. Okay? Now, One, be, becoming one flesh is about commitment. 
The last thing that I want to talk to you about, about becoming one flesh, is the fact that becoming one flesh is also about companionship. Okay? When God made Adam, uh, Adam, when God made man, he realized that it is not good for the man to be alone. So what he did was he made a companion or a helper for Adam. This is what our marriage is also about. It's about loyal companionship. Again, our loyalties now lie to our spouse, not to the government, not to our principals at school, or not not to our work, not to our bosses, not to our best buddies at school or work or what have you, but to our spouse. But companionship is something that we need to really pay attention to. I remember one time, you know, Linda and I got engaged and we were about to get married. Now, we were dating for six years, but during that time, you knew we were going to get married. But our, our engagement is different in the Philippines. We had to have both families there and tell them that we're getting married. It's really a nerve-wracking event. So you guys know, some of you are Filipinos, you know what's going on. So we're there, and I, I tell my, I, we tell our families, we stand together and say, we're, we're getting married, and, you know, it's all good, right? And then I remember, because I was still in the military at the time, obviously, I was starting out in the military at the time. Well, you know, I was five years already in the military at the time, and after that, I was going to leave. I was going to go away for work. So I don't remember where I was going to be. I think I was going to go to the States at this time. And then um, I had to leave Linda to like do all the planning for our wedding. And it's like, you know, it's, it's, it's going to be in about like a week or three weeks or four weeks or so, but I had to leave. So in, in, in that traveling time, I was in a taxi cab and in this taxi cab, you know, there's the, the taxi cab is really bubbly, just like Chad, you know, like, Hey, how's it going guys? Like, you know, it's just Chad. So this guy was like, hey, how's it going? He's like, oh, good, thank you. But I was sad because I just left Linda, right? But I got engaged, you know, it's good. But I was sad. So I sit down, like, what's going on? How's it going? Hey, be happy for me today. It's like, what's going on with this dude in my head, right? And he says, today is my 40th wedding anniversary. It's like, oh, great, you know, cool. Yeah, thank you. Appreciate it. Yeah. So I said, well, maybe I can learn from this guy. Like, 40, like you know, hey, I just got engaged, you know, officially. Can you tell me like a thing or two, you know, that would help me, that would help me be set up for success in my marriage? He says, oh yeah, I have, I have just the one for you. He says, my secret is this. My wife and I share the decision making. Okay, I was like, oh, I was like, oh, this is good. This is good. And he says, the big decisions I take on myself, the important ones. That's me. But the small decisions, the inconsequential stuff, my, I, I, I let my wife deal with that. Did you guys hear that well? Did you guys hear that correctly? Because I was asking that question the whole time. Like, I was quiet. Like, did, that, did this guy just say what he just said? Like, you know, I was quiet in the, in the taxi, and I was like, am I going to pursue this conversation with this dude, or am I just going to keep quiet? I don't want to hear what this guy's going to say next, because, you know, at that point, at that time, I was the kind of guy who, if, if I knew something was not right, I'm going to tell you that. And I'm not going to tell that in a nice way. I'm going to tell you to your face that you're junk. Like, you know, 
I was going to do that to this guy because I didn't know maybe I should. No, I'm not going to do it. So I, I was quiet for a long time. But my curiosity got the best of me. <laughs> so I asked, after like maybe 10 minutes or 15 minutes of silence, I asked the guy, can you elaborate on what you just said there? And you know what the guy said? Without like skipping a beat, the guy was like, I thought you'd never ask. I didn't want you to leave thinking that I'm a jerk to my wife. So this is the, this is the thing. This is the thing. The big things I do for myself, right? The big, the big decisions, okay? Like example, okay? Who is, who should Canada's prime minister be next time? I, I decide that. The premier, who's, who's going to be the premier of, of, of Ontario the next time? This was in Toronto, I think, right? And then who should Canada, uh, who, where should the Canadian military like deploy to next? Those big things, I decide. I don't give that to my wife to do because I am the one qualified to do that. And then he says, well, the small things that I give my wife to do, the inconsequential things that I can't be bothered about, I leave that to my wife. Just like stuff like, what part of our house are we going to remodel next? I leave that to her. I just do what she tells me to do and I just do it. And, you know, like, what are we going to do with our money? What are we going to spend our money on? She decides that. And finally... He says, you know, the st- how much money we're going to contribute to our kids in university, she decides that as well. I don't meddle into that little stuff. And I thought in my head, man, this guy's awesome. This, guy's, this guy knows how to live as one flesh in a committed companionship with his wife. And then as I was uh, getting out of the taxi, you know what he told me? He said, you are my last passenger today. And it was like at 2 o'clock in the afternoon. Because I need to get ready for my big date tonight. What an amazing dude. Companionship. We fail to understand that our husbands and wives are not only, uh, they're everything to us. That when we do this, right, when we do this, become one flesh, we become the closest to them. Closer than any other person in this world. Because when we do this, we become intimate with them. Spiritually. When we serve together in the Lord's work, in the Lord's kingdom. Emotionally. In our hearts. When we, when we tell them our desires. When we tell them the things that bother us. When we tell them the things that really, that are struggles. That's what happens when we work on that intimacy. Physical intimacy goes along well with that. And I'm going to, in case I haven't mentioned it yet, sex is something that God has given to the world for married husband and wives to enjoy. Okay? That is something that we need to really understand today. Okay, if you're not married yet, please remember that because the world does not, does not subscribe to that. But physical intimacy is part and parcel of being one flesh. Okay? And we need to understand that our spouse is not just our lover. They're also our friend. And I, I appreciate that sentiment as I saw it in Song of Songs 516. Song of Songs is about the union, the, the beauty of our union in marriage. And in this particular passage, in Song of Songs 5, 
or Song of Solomon, whatever you want to call it, the woman is, is really bragging in a good way about her husband, telling all the women about her husband. She tells them his mouth is sweetness itself. He is desirable in every way. Such a woman of Jerusalem is my lover, my friend. If you are going to marry, if you're not married yet, if you're going to marry, help ensure that the person you're marrying is also your best friend. You might disagree with me on that, but think about it. Think about all of the intimacy, the intimacy and the closest that you have with your spouse. I am pretty sure if you are as close as that with another person, something is wrong. If you can call, if we can call somebody else our best friend that's not our spouse, I think we need to rethink that. Do they see, do they also see us naked in bed? I, I hope not. Right? Our spouse is our lover and friend. Okay? One last thing that I want to share with you on this. And this comes from my wife because she's way smarter than me. I remember I'm preparing for this lesson and I was thinking about my last bit in my sermon. I said, hey, hon, how can you best describe the companionship in marriage? And without skipping a beat, without pausing, she quotes this particular passage. 1 Corinthians 12, 26. She says, that's easy. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. And my mouth just dropped. Wow. She didn't know that I was going to talk about the Apostle Paul, you know, comparing our marriage relationship with that of Jesus in the church. And yet, this particular passage is about the church and our relationship with each other and with God. He says, if one of us here is sad, we want to be sad with them. And if one of us here is happy and joyful, we want to rejoice and celebrate with them. And Linda tells me it's the exact same thing in marriage. But a lot of times we don't think that way, right? Especially when we're just, I guess, when we're not married yet. So well, this is just normal. Like, I know this. But you know what happens is in marriage, the enemy of, of one flesh seeps in. That's selfishness. And there's this disdain for our partner, right? They, they do something that we think is not good or foolish or stupid. And we go, ah. And then, they, then, then because of that, they suffer. And then we go, ha. Ah. I told you so. We do that. A lot of times when the other person is suffering, it's like we're happy about it for some reason. And when the other person is rejoicing, it's like we're sad about it because they're rejoicing. I pray that that does never, that that never happens in our marriage. And I pray that in our marriage, we get to be so close and intimate with each other. So much so that we really know what's going on in each other's lives. And we become the companions that God has initially desired for us to become in our marriage. God's vision for marriage is for husband and wife to come together to become one flesh. Everything 
that we can think about just becoming one flesh, one mind, one spirit, one heart, and one body. We need to remember that it requires a lot of commitment, but this commitment is precious. This commitment is worth it because of the loyal companionship that God desires for us to have.